0: standing by the terry and ted podcast is sponsored by the ups store canada
1: another episode of standing by look ted bird hello ted bird
2: hello terry Demonte. how do you do
1: just fine thank you are you standing by i
2: am standing by i've been standing by for quite some time now
1: i'm uh glad to hear that you were uh busy uh what was it uh, put, how did it go? Putting on your tires? No, no. I
2: said to uh, Chris LeBlanc, who I work with on the morning show at White 106.7, I said, uh, have you putting on your winter tires yet? Putting.
1: That's not even a word. You're going to be teaching the grammar school later?
2: No, I don't think so. Not if I'm using words like putting. Or no non- w- non-words non like putting.
1: Yeah. Listen, um, we got to get right to it because I'm very excited about this uh, today. Uh, because we do have a guest waiting in the wings. But before we continue, uh, I want to say a big thank you to the UPS Store Canada. I was uh, just online at uh, the upsstore.ca. The UPS Store will take the stress out of your uh, holiday shopping. Well, not your shopping, but your holiday shipping is what they can do. And when you go online, if you... uh, Uh, You'll see everything that you need, a shipping cost calculator, how you can print things online. And they have something called a Holiday Hub. Uh, And uh, they'll show you what it costs to ship packages to certain places. So you can do all of that online at the upsstore.ca. Or you can go into one of the 360 locations around the country and uh, let them help you with your business. Uh, These are all entrepreneurs, they're all franchise owners who know what it is to run a small business and they can help you run your small business. Whether you've got to pack something, ship something, print something, shred something, uh, anything that has to do with running a small business, they can help you out. And even if you want to send a present to a long lost relative or uh, maybe a relative you haven't spoken to in a while for Christmas, you need to get something to the other end of the country. Uh, if you're listening to my voice from one city, say you got to send something to Halifax, they'll tell you how to do that and get it there safely and get it there uh, economically and get it there well packed. And uh, if you want to pack your own stuff, uh, they've got all the supplies there too. They can do almost anything for you. The UPS store, and they are our title sponsor. Of season four of the Standing By podcast, did I forget anything, Ted? Uh, no,
2: and you could also uh, you could ship a, a gift to your old radio partner uh, on the other side of the country. Have you priced that out yet?
1: That's true. Uh, I'll look into that. What would you would you like a? Uh, would you like a jar of Jess's homemade blueberry jam from the blueberries out here in British Columbia? <laughs> I think
2: I might need a crying towel because I think Danielle's taking the kids away for Christmas, and I'm going to be sitting oh, there all right. by myself. Me and the big—well, actually, me and the cat, and her cat, and her two dogs, probably. Really? Yeah, it'll be a—it'll be a menagerie.
1: Okay, I'll, I'll be sure to call you Christmas Day, Ted. Would you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, we've kept our guest waiting have, too long. I'm yeah. very excited about this because uh, not only is he a uh, terrific and lovely guy, uh, but uh, Ted and I both think he's one of the best play-by-play people in the business. And uh, when you combine those two things, uh, a good and decent guy uh, with talent like that, uh, it makes for a a spectacular a spectacular, um, a spectacular uh, friend to know. And uh, we're talking about Dan Robertson, who is now the voice of the Winnipeg Jets. And we've reached him uh, at his uh, home, high above Portage Avenue in the center of the country. Hi, Dan. Terry and Ted, how are you guys doing? Thanks for having me on. So excited to have you, Dan. I can't begin to tell you. Uh, Just before we pushed record here, uh, you and I began to talk about uh, Winnipeg. Um, I have such a fondness for that city. Still have friends there, still enjoy going there in the summertime. Wondering how you've enjoyed it so far.
0: It's been good. I I moved here permanently, I think it was the 9th of October that I got here. And, you know, everybody's been really nice and helpful. And, I mean, even to practice today, I'm still getting used to, you know, not being on on, on TV Uh, prior to this. You know, a few people came up and, Today, uh, welcome to Winnipeg. And I'm thinking, how the hell do you know who I am? And then I <laughs> I, I remember again that I'm actually on TV. So, But it, just to say, everyone's been nice, and everybody in the organization, uh, they've been helpful too. So, so far, so good. It's good to be in a hockey
1: mad market again too. I was going to say, you're going to find in uh, Winnipeg, you know, I've, I've lived in Winnipeg, I've lived in Calgary, and of course, born and raised in Montreal, I'll always be a Habs fan. But boy, oh boy, I'll tell you. There's a real passion for the game in Winnipeg, especially since they had to fight so hard to get that franchise back. Uh, They're, they're pretty rabid fans in, in Winnipeg, aren't they, Dan? They
0: really are. And the team's off to a good start this year, which should help too, if they can maintain that. And uh, coming in here, I've always said, even before I knew this job was available, there's my three favorite places to call games in the league are the bell center. And I, it wouldn't have mattered who I worked for, and that would be number one, just because of the atmosphere and the fact that I think they draw, they can get the most people in there out of any any stadium in the league. But it's unique and it's great. And MSG is number two, just because it's Madison Square Garden. But here is number three, because anytime I've been here, which is only once a year, because when I worked uh, calling Canadians' games, it's an East-West kind of thing, and you just they play each other twice. But uh, the one time we would come every year, it was the atmosphere was always great. Maybe. Maybe part of that is the fact that it's a smaller building. It's the smallest, well, other than uh, Mullet uh, Arena in Tempe, it's the second smallest arena. And they know their hockey, right? They love it, and they're so proud of their team, as you can say that I'm sure about most fan bases. But I'm, I'm really starting to get a sense of what the Jets mean to, not only to Winnipeg, but, uh, you know, the, the wider community, so to speak.
2: Dan, yeah, you were that- the voice of the Montreal Canadiens and – and uh, you were on radio primarily in Montreal. You did some television. And that must have given you a little bit of the of an idea of the power of the medium. I mean, now you're full-time TV. And, you know, Terry and I have done uh, television here and there over the years. And even just doing it here and there. It's unbelievable the number of people. I haven't been on TV in a while and people still come up. And they recognize me because they saw me on TV however long ago. It's just such a powerful medium.
0: It really is. And it's... It's, it's always strange, and I guess I was in Montreal long enough, and I'm sure this would happen to you guys too, where I might be somewhere, and I might, somebody might be speaking to me, and I'd get the, hey, aren't you that guy? Because they'd recognize my voice, but I think I would do um, maybe 8 to 12 TSN TV games over the last four or five years, and and uh, absolutely, it's, it's, it's a reminder of a few things, I guess. The power of the medium, for sure, but certainly the you know, the power and the draw and the allure of the Canadians because so many people watch and, and listen. So it's always been, that's part of it too, right? That's that's part of the fun. And, and anyone you ever speak with, nobody's thrown any rotten vegetables at me yet. They always are kind and uh, want to talk hockey. So that's always cool too. How much, wanted,
2: sorry, go, Ted, go ahead, Ted. How much consideration did you put into, when you made this move into, uh, gee was I'm the voice of the Montreal Canadiens. That can't be easy to walk away from.
0: It's funny, My the man who hired me, we talked about you know, the pros and cons. We talked about this job and and he said, you'd be leaving Montreal and it is the Canadians. And uh, there is something to that. And, and uh, you know, it's I, I don't mean this to sound egotistical because it's not. But And I can always say that I was not the voice of the Montreal Canadians. There's several of us. But I was, for the last eight years, one of two people to call every Canadian's game, uh, except for a couple of times when I got sick. And, you know, that means something to me. That It's kind of neat. I, I was a Canadians fan when I was a little kid until I was a teenager and discovered Mario Lemieux. And then I kind of became a Penguins fan. And then I guess by the time I got that job, when I was 44, I wasn't really a fan of, of teams, just players. But um, to be I don't know, even just linked to the Canadians and to get a chance to call games there, you know, forty-one times a year, and then if they were fortunate enough to get in the playoffs, I, I, it's something I, I never took for granted, and it's something that I'll always remember fondly. And because there's really, as I said earlier, there's no place like it uh, as far as
1: hockey goes. I'm curious about the decision, Dan, from a, a business point of view. I know there's a radio and a television element to it, but as you know, as a, as a guy who was in broadcasting for a very long time i know the the uh, how difficult those decisions are to make how much of it um how much of it was i i want to move away from radio and i want to get into television did how much did that play into your de- decision to to take the job in Winnipeg well that was that was the main one and
0: there's some good things to come along with that and and um but that that was the reason and i Look, I didn't master radio play-by-play play at all, but I, I felt like it was time for a new challenge. And um, I guess before I got the, the job with TSN Radio in Montreal, um, it was the same thing. I had worked in TV at a place called Eastlink TV in, in the Maritimes, and uh, you know I really liked that we called junior games and university hockey and football and basketball. And but I always felt, you know, I think I could call games at the National Hockey League level. And then I did, and then I kind of proved to myself that I could. And I would get TV games, uh, as as we talked about earlier. And and I thought, you know, I would like to do it full time because I could evolve and and get better. And because the two medium uh, media aren't the same, right? It's you call games differently on TV and radio. But I just wanted to, to be able to prove to myself that I could do it uh, consistently. And I, I'm still in the process of that. I'm still learning. But that that was the main thing. It was sort of like a you know, something
1: I wanted to be able to prove to myself. I'd like to disagree with you. I thought you did an amazing job on the radio. You painted beautiful, beautiful pictures, because Thanks. as you know, there's an intimacy to uh, calling of any kind of sport. Baseball, you know, baseball sounds amazing on the radio. Hockey is great on the radio because you you have to use your imagination, and the play-by-play guy is the facilitator at that of that, and you were brilliant at that. And I want to ask you, because it's been in, in the news, as we're recording this, uh, in the last couple of weeks there has been discussions about some teams across the league are not sending their crews on the road to do the radio broadcast. My personal opinion is that's a mistake, and I think what's happening there is it's moving to a point where I think some teams may move away from radio and just use a television feed to save money because that's all they worry about these days is saving money. Was that anywhere in your mind as you headed for television? It wasn't. Uh, and when I
0: basically accepted the job, uh, I, I didn't know that that's where the, the Canadians broadcasts were going. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's kind of seemingly turning toward that direction. And I know that some other clubs had done it prior to that, like Dallas, for example. Dave simulcasted, for a, or simulcast, I'm not sure the past tense of simulcast, uh, but for the last few years. But it's just, and I guess it started mostly during COVID. And I think uh, people did such a good job calling off monitors that you could sort of see that maybe this might happen. And it's just part of a you know, a financial reality, I suppose. It's a little over my head, but, uh, yeah, know, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to continue to trend that way or not, but um, that's the way it is in, in some markets right now. Um, obviously, it's it's better to be there if you can, but uh, the other side, you just have to, to make the best out of it if you're calling a game from a studio.
2: It's a credit to the guys who can call the game from the studio and do a good job at it, but there's got to be so much that's missing when you're mm. trying to do that. You can't look around the arena and see things that you can possibly bring into your play by play. If you're just looking at a TV monitor, that's all you've got, whatever's on that monitor. I've got to believe that that's got to handicap you to a great extent.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, you, you can't see um, plays develop uh, as you can when you're at the arena. Uh, guys can be, you know, maybe on the bench and, and hurting and you don't know it. Um, when we had to do it during. Uh, I guess the bubble and the playoffs were in the in the bubble and uh we weren't able to go on the road. I just the way I looked at it was, you know, I, I would rather be calling from a studio than not being able to call it at all. But it certainly does has have its challenges. It's not ideal. I don't think anybody thinks it is. It's just kind of the way it seems to be going right now, for better or worse.
2: Do you think they would ever take TV down that route, just send the camera guys out and <laughs> and leave the announcers at home? God forbid.
0: No, uh, I hope not. I, I can't imagine that. Uh, I don't think it'll ever get there. It's just because there is there is such a, a value of, of being in the arena, and not not just um, I don't know, not just to be able to call the game, but to get to get the feel, to get the atmosphere. And uh, I mean, even for me, I'm a, we were in Seattle on Sunday, and uh, you know, you could you can kind of feel in the building how. The the home team was starting to sag a little bit. That the Jets were coming on, and that's that's again that's something you you can only get I think when you're there. So no, I don't I don't think TV will, will go that way. I certainly hope not.
1: Are you nervous on television, Dan? Because I know the transition from radio to television. Um, I did it once long ago, and uh, the it, 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 I found it very nerve wracking. I did a lot of sweating for the first <laughs> little while.
0: <laughs> well. Um, I would say no. I mean, there's always, this is kind of strange. There's always a time, and there was when I would do games on radio. If the game started at 7 o'clock at about 20 to 7, I'd have this feeling of, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why they hired me. So I I get that little, uh, but I think it's good. It kind of wakes me up a little bit again. And then we go to come on air, and it's not so bad. Um, It's, I don't know about nervous, but um, when we do road games, I, I act as the host as well, so uh, we're on a half an hour almost all the time, although we weren't the other night, but we're always almost on a half an hour beforehand with the pregame, and I have to steer that. So, you know, you're you're doing an intro, and I'm not reading it off of anything, and you're trying to keep your thoughts straight, uh, whereas if you do it on radio, you can write this stuff down or put bullet points and, and refer to them. So, there's a little bit of that, um, but, you know, we, we've all been in the business long enough where you figure out ways to remember what you're going to say. So I, I don't know. I, I think, I mean, I'm 52. If I was, if I were, th- I don't know, 35 and I was just doing this for the first time, maybe I'd be nervous, but I did TV for 12 years before radio. So uh, maybe that's part of it, but it's, that's not really so bad for me. Yeah.
2: I think nervous energy is good. Uh, yeah. pa- nervous energy, good panic, bad. <laughs> <laughs> It's true yeah, yeah.
0: It's, it's a strange it's a strange thing though right I mean you you prepare as well as you can but and and I'm one I beat myself up like if if I'm saying something and I I just slur a word uh, or something like that something that maybe I would only notice I'm thinking ah why did you do that I try not to let it ruin the rest of, of what I have to say so it's it's a, it's a strange sort of a I don't know if "art" is the word, but kind of a discipline that we go through that way. But but it's fun, I and mean, it's I mentioned earlier wanting a challenge. That's part of the challenge too. And uh, you know, when we when we are on the road, I I'll do interviews, players with with the headset on after each intermission, and speaking like the other night, I spoke with Martin Biron, who was at his home, and you're trying to. Think of the right questions to ask, and you're trying to remember. Oh yeah, I have to go back and call the game here in a couple of minutes too. So it, it's it's a lot, but it's it's really fun.
1: As you get older, Dan, don't you find that confidence becomes a, a little? You you have a little more. There 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 are a few more nights where you think, yeah, I know what I'm doing here. That that's true, and you have that. Even if you don't,
0: if that's not at, at front of your mind, you have that sort of a sense. Uh, it, inwardly that you know nothing's gonna go so wrong that you can't get it back on track and um, you know I'll, I'll speak to a lot of people in in this line of work and and I talked about I was actually talking with my broadcast partner today Kevin Sawyer and uh, you know I said I it's tough for me to go back and I'll record games and I'll go back and watch them because um, you want to get better or you want to see where you can improve but Sometimes it's hard for me to do that because, as I said earlier, I may have made a mistake in that game, and then I, if I see it, I, I think it'll it'll kill me. But I'll watch it and think, <laughs> ah, that wasn't that wasn't that bad. So when you do it enough, you're right. You're right. You get that confidence that, and I think you can kind of see it in somebody when they're on air, and you can hear it in their voice too that they have a certain level of of confidence that they're going to be able to do the job the right way.
1: Do you remember? what influenced you to pursue this was there a person or a time where you thought shit I want to do that that sounds like fun I was
0: thinking about that I someone had asked me a few months ago I can remember being a kid in in Trenton Nova Scotia and I would go down and dad had set up an area for me to shoot pucks and balls or whatever I could fire at the net and uh, and the intermissions of Hockey Night in Canada, I'd go down and do a little play-by-play in, uh, out loud, I guess. And I thought, is that where it started? But And then, you know, I would watch and sort of subconsciously be thinking along or talking along with the play a little bit when I was a kid. And then, you know, I got older and I kind of wasted some time. I went to university and, and graduated, didn't know what I wanted to do. And somebody told me about a broadcasting school. And I had watched like a sports center kind of thing one day and thought, I can do that. Uh, So I thought that's what I would try to do, like be a desk guy on a a sports show. And um, I eventually just got to Halifax when I was after living in the States for a bit at age 29 and went to East Link TV, a cable station there. And um, he said, we're looking for a color commentator for Halifax Mooseheads games. And I, so I did that. I mean, I certainly wasn't qualified. It was kind of, it was low production stuff, but it was still fun. And then the the color commentator was sick one night and I gave it a the play-by-play a try and I thought, yeah, I can do that. So uh, I just think slowly, slowly over time, whenever I would think about it, I thought I, I could probably do that. And, you know, you listen to Bob Cole and and all of those great play-by-play guys and you never think that you'd get the same opportunity that they got, but uh, you know, we all start somewhere. So I just, that's a long way of answering. I think it was a gradual sort of thing where, where I thought I could do it and I wanted to take a take a crack at it.
2: As a Nova Scotian, Dan, was Danny Gallivan an, an influence on you? Or was he, like, I'm trying to think of how old you would have been when when he passed. You would have been still, a, like, early teens, probably.
0: Yeah, that's right. So I, what I remember, some of my first hockey memories were in about, I want to say, like, 77, 78, when I'd be 7 or 8. My brother, who's 9 years older, was and is a big Canadians fan, so... You know, he kind of pulled me down that path, and I can remember Danny Gallup and uh, a little bit. And then, of course, you you watch on YouTube and you you find what you can, and and I've read a lot about him and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, he like when he was done, he was done, right? It wasn't he didn't hang on, I don't think, too long or anything like that to doing play by play. He just decided to step away. And uh, but the thing was, I always knew very well where he was from—that he's from Cape Breton. And uh, Sydney, I guess. And my first job was at CJFX in Antigonish, and the first person on air at CJFX was Danny Gallopin. He was going to Saint FX University, and when you went in the back door, the the um, the building isn't isn't there anymore. But when you would go in the back door, the first thing you would see was a picture of Danny, and uh, I always thought, wow, that guy came from Nova Scotia and looked to where he went. So it's kind of a uh, you know, coincidence. But I just to know that, that he did that, I always thought, well, you know, if, if he could do that, then then other people can do it too.
2: The first time I ever went to the Montreal Forum was in 1985 when I moved here from Toronto as the sports director at FM 96, which is now Virgin Radio. And the very first practice I covered, the first person I ran into, and I had no idea who he was, was Red Fisher. I stood at I stood rinkside and talked to Red Fisher for about 20 minutes with no clue who I was talking to. I just thought I guess this guy's one of the reporters who covers the Canadians. That night, I went to my first Canadians game and we're sitting in the press room and I'm sitting there with Rick Moffat. And Danny Galivan walks in and strides right over to the table that we're sitting at and sits down and goes, well, who are these two young men? I've never met you before. And Rick and I are sitting there with eyes like as big as pie place going, holy Jesus, it's Danny Gallivan. And he sits down and starts regaling us with stories. The most one-sided fight I ever saw, Milt Schmidt and Dickie Moore, the Boston Garden, 1959. We could not believe this was happening. And that's who he was. He was just the nicest, nicest man. And he saw two young guys who probably, he probably looked over and went, well, they look out of sorts. They look like they don't know what they're doing. I'll go over and see if maybe I can put them at ease. And that's exactly what he did. Exactly and isn't that the what best?
0: he did. And that's a pretty good uh, imitation too. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's not bad, eh,
1: Dan? That's not,
0: a hard guy bad. to imitate. Better than I could do. And, <laughs> and you know what? On I swear, so this is Tuesday. On Sunday night, I got an email and I kind of I looked at it quickly. Uh, it was near the end of the game, and it was, "Hey, Dan, um, I'm sorry we never crossed paths. It's my fault. I uh, want to wish you the best." Um, I always, Danny Gallivan and I would always joke that he had the east of Canada covered and I had the west of Canada covered. Best of luck, and it was Dick Urban. Oh. So I I almost fell down. And those things mean a lot. What you're talking about when I first got to Montreal. I can remember um, meeting Michael Farber, and I was like, "Oh man!" I, and I was starstruck. And he, he, he was always kind to me, saying, "You know, you're doing a really good job." And I thought, I don't know why more people can't do that sort of thing—not uh, just in broadcasting, but in life. You know, it it really meant a lot to me. And uh, so that's that's a nice story to to hear about Danny Gallivan. and and it's it's still you know, I get Chris Cuthbert is a favorite of mine too. And and he's helped me, especially in the last few months. I've had questions for him. But um, when I first met him, I was like, oh God, like he's, I think he's the best. And he said, listen, I saw you the other night. I had to do a game. It was sort of an emergency situation in Buffalo. And he said, you know, I turned the TV on. I thought, wow, this guy knows what he's talking about. And I'm thinking, Chris Cuthbert is, is telling me this, right? So then you talk about confidence and and people can say nice things that help you along the way. So I, I've I've had a lot of that. It's just been
1: great. Um, we have to take a uh, just a quick spot here to uh, thank uh, one of our supporters. And Ted, I would like you to tell the Voswin story because we're talking about nice people and uh, people who say nice things. And when I first met uh, the gang from Voswin, I thought, Wow, um, I don't understand why they want us to talk about what they do. But these are nice people, and I would be proud to speak on their behalf.
2: An engineering consulting firm, and they approached us. Sean Smith, the president and founder of Vosman, said, I want to advertise on your podcast. And we said, yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> but he's he's convinced that there are people who listen to this podcast uh, who can uh, who can use his company and use his services. Here's what Voswin do. Well, as I mentioned, they're an engineering consulting firm. So let's say you have a company or a product or a service, and it has an engineering component, and you can't quite decide or figure out where to go with it. That's where Voswin comes in. They do mechanical and industrial engineering and design, electrical engineering and design, software engineering and design, and uh, if you have that uh, problem, that engineering problem that requires a solution, uh, they're the guys and gals who can help you with it. Stop the spin. Call Voswin Vision to innovation. Voswin.com. Tell them you heard about about them on uh, Terry and Ted, those two knuckleheads who don't know the first thing about engineering.
1: And another one of our supporters are the good people at honor I've been speaking on their behalf for a very long time now. Um, And I always say they are passionate about sleep and sleep technology. And everybody says to me all the time, what are you talking (laughs) about sleep technology? There is so much that goes into the design of mattresses these days. You want to deal with people, first of all, who are nice and people who are friendly and people who have manners and people who won't pressure you into buying anything. And most important of all, people who are knowledgeable about how you can get a better night's sleep. And if you go into a Matlab on our store, and I highly recommend you do that because you're gonna get a wonderful, wonderful shopping experience from a family-run business. And these kinds of experiences are hard to come by these days, hard to find friendly people, hard to find people who know what they're doing. And the folks at Matlab on our really know what they're doing and they've got a discount code for you. Go in there and tell them that you listen to the Terry and Ted podcast and you can use the promo code TED04 or TEAR05 and they'll give you an extra 5% off your purchase. Uh, Locations all over the Greater Montreal area. Look for them at metlabunner.ca. Dan Robertson, the voice of the Winnipeg Jets. How does that sound, by the way, Dan? Does that sound weird to you? It it does. It it sounds
0: great and it sounds weird at the same time. It's... Uh, but more great than weird, I have to say it's <laughs> been really, really cool. I mentioned earlier how much fans in this area love the Jets, and yeah, and, and it's. But I was eight years in Montreal, so you're kind of yeah. stuck with uh, not stuck with that, but it's it's there too, the voice of the Montreal Canadiens. But I, and I should before I we go any further, I want to thank you guys too. I talked about people being nice and saying good things. Ted, you were always good to me with uh, with nice messages, and Terry, I had to host one time. Uh, for like a week or two on, on the radio, and I, you sent me a really nice note that helped me out too, so I, I appreciate that. But no, Voice of the Winnipeg Jets uh, sounds good. It's funny. Um, uh, a couple of friends would call me Voth, uh, sort of jokingly before, V-O-T-H, Voice of the Habs. Hmm. I was going to get that tattoo, and I guess it's probably a good thing that yeah. I didn't. To
2: the <laughs> yeah, it's probably not a good idea to get anything tattooed that has to do with a broadcasting career because we tend to move <laughs> around, eh? Maybe wait until the very end and then pick your favorite one and do that tattoo. Dan, do you ever have any aspirations of uh, of branching out into other sports? Because it's I find it so fascinating. Hockey is so different. Even on television, calling a hockey game, I get the feeling that uh, hockey play-by-play guys probably don't – and it's the nature of the game. It's not only that they don't, can't let the picture tell the story the way a football or baseball announcer can. Like, I remember watching Pat Summerall uh, when he was uh, still alive doing CBS games. Well, of course, I watched him when he was still alive. <laughs> but <laughs> he would do... Yeah, yeah. But he would... You know, he barely had anything to say sometimes when he was still alive calling <laughs> games. Like, a Pat Summerall call would be, Dorsett touchdown Cowboys. And that's all he had to say because the pictures told the rest of the story. But I get the feeling that, that calling a hockey game is it's a different animal than a, than a baseball or football game. Maybe because the pace is so constant and frenetic. I don't know.
0: No, I I agree with you. And just to go back to, to how Pat Summerall for one would call games and you talk about being confident, you have to be confident to call a game that way. And Uh, just to let the pictures tell the story and not enough people do that. And I get in my own head sometimes too. So um, in radio, you have to say, okay, here's Damati over the line on the left side at center. Well, I don't have to say that when I do a TV game because you can see it. So then I think, well, am I saying that he's, should I be saying that he's coming through the neutralized area? It's not wrong, but you know, there's, there's a fine line in there. Sometimes I think I talk a little bit too much. But in my last job, uh, well, before I moved to Montreal, I did um, play-by-play for football and basketball and soccer. And um, I didn't know those sports very well at all. I feel I have a pretty good grip on hockey. But but I knew how to identify people and to say what was going on. And I would just leave, leave my color commentator to say why, which is the best way to do it. I'd add my two cents here and there once in a while. But it's and the old radio one was it on radio when um when Hank Aaron broke the home run record in 74 i think it was the great vin scully he hit the home run he, he whatever his call was was and he got up he, it must have been on tv he got up poured himself a glass of water i guess it was 2 minutes before he spoke again so you know he let the <laughs> the, the pictures and the and the crowd noise sort of tell the story yeah. but that is it's it's Sometimes I, I'll watch, and I'm always critiquing for better or worse. Uh, other people calling games. I think, you know, he's talking too much, or he's he's not talking enough. But it's uh, I, I've always appreciated those guys who are brave enough to just not say anything and let the let the sound and the, and the pictures
1: tell the story. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that, Dan, because Ted and I have had this conversation a number of times. We've noticed, um, and you're too nice a guy to say anything. Um, but we've noticed there's been a tendency especially Poseidon? They, they lose their minds they <laughs> you know they're like oh my god, oh my god! i know I who you're thinking myself, of <laughs> yeah and, and i think to myself Jesus Christ get a hold of yourself like I'm watching the game too and yeah. and, and I understand you know there's a you, you there's a there's a time and a place and a moment where you get so excited you know I can think of so many you know so many goals where you know that would lift even the play by play guy out of his uh, out of his seat but there's something to be said you know of the balance between the calm confidence and and the you know almost the quiet of a Pat Summerall or a Vince Scully and then you know the the someone who's losing their mind and and forgets where they are kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and I don't know if that's a generational thing or I, I hope it's not going that way. I hope there still yeah, is room room for people who are not, not muted. But I always say this too, like, and I'm not trying to rip other people, but there are play-by-play people who will will start with their energy up here. Uh, at the start of a game. It doesn't matter what the sport. Uh, so then it, when things really get on the line and when there's a, an important moment or a big goal or touchdown or whatever, they don't have anywhere to go. You know, they've, they've, been, they've been at the top the whole time. So I think it's something that, that's gradual. And I think you have to be able to um, figure out when those high moments are, those important moments are a momentum change. But yeah and I, I think maybe that's the the cranky old guy in me that uh No I don't think really No. Go. Okay, good. Thank no, you. No because yeah.
2: because what oh. Terry was describing that's done for effect. Yeah, and when yeah. you're doing something for effect you're not I don't I think you're doing your audience a disservice and I think you're doing yourself yeah. a professional disservice.
1: Just be yourself. Yeah. Yeah, you can be I excited you're, you're
2: without make, Sorry, you trying go ahead. to make
1: the moment a person who's doing that is trying to make the moment about them.
2: Yeah. And that, yeah.
1: and, the, and and that that's not that's not what it is. The, the moment isn't about the play by play guy. When a big thing happens like that, Dan, I, I I'd like to just go back. Yeah, you, you you talked a bit about the Maritimes and the television yep. job in the Maritimes. How did how did you get the job in in Montreal? How did how did that transpire?
0: Well, the broadcasting rights for the NHL changed uh, in twenty fourteen and. So Sportsnet got, um, you know, they spent a lot of money to, to get exclusive rights to, to certain nights and just, just the rights changed basically. So when that happened, a number of jobs opened across the NHL. Um, I had done in 2010, I think six or seven AHL on CBC games through a man named Joel Darling. He used to be the executive director or executive producer of Hockey Net in Canada. And Joel has always been good to me. So when that happened, when the the broadcast rights changed, I got a call um, from a man named Ed Hall, a producer at Sportsnet. And he said, would you like to be considered as a regional TV voice of the Canadians? And I said, of course. And it was Joel who recommended me. So I hadn't heard, and I hadn't heard. And I thought, I'm not going to get this job. And I found out it was was John Bartlett. So I thought, OK, I know where John Bartlett worked. He was a TSN 690. So the first thing I did was go online and find out who to contact on uh, there. And uh, so right away, I kind of got a, a, a positive message back, and then went for an audition and had a really good feeling. So it was sort of a you know you have to be in the right place at the right time, but you have to you have to try to find the right place at the right time if that makes sense. So it, you know I was 44. I wasn't I wasn't old, but I, I wasn't. Uh, no, it wasn't green. I'd, I'd done a fair bit of uh, stuff before, but, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was certainly an interesting time in my life.
2: Do you still get teased about your hard R's, your maritime R's? Cause I'm from New Brunswick <laughs> and I haven't lived there for, I, I moved away 30, 30, 44 years ago and people still say, Hey Ted, you going to get in the car and go to the bar?
0: <laughs> That's incredible that you say that Kevin Sawyer does color color with me. I said something about, uh, You know, I have to get some work done to my car. He goes, oh, your car. I said, okay, my my car. You and I are right, Ted.
2: Uh, I hear you, Dan. I hear you.
1: Christ almighty. It's my car. (laughs)
2: It's
1: the car. Hey, Dan, is there any involvement for people who don't know, because I don't. I've always wondered this. um, Is there any involvement by the team? Do the Canadians ever have anything to say to you? Will the Jets ever have anything to say to you? Well, when when I worked in Montreal,
0: I know that they had to to approve me to sign off on me and, and they listen to a little bit of work uh, and I guess liked me enough to give me the thumbs up. but uh, you know what uh, in the eight years I was there, I never had anybody tell my boss or tell me you shouldn't have said this, you shouldn't have said that. Uh, and you know my predecessor here, the Dennis Bayak was terrific. I'm pretty sure it's the same thing. Nobody ever went to him and and, and said, you know, don't do this, don't do that. I, they might, a couple of times when I started with the Canadians, I was told how I was mispronouncing a name. I mean, that's nothing, right? So that's fine. But, but no, and I, I appreciate that, right? The last thing you'd want is, is somebody kind of censoring what you say. But then again, on the other side, if you say something that's, you know, damaging to the, to a player or or the franchise, I would, I would guess they'd have every right. But I think that's part of it too. I mean, when TSN hired me, they knew I wasn't some wing nut and, uh, that I would, you know, I wouldn't pop off. So I, I think that's important to them that they hired somebody who's, who's been around a little bit.
1: Did you have a, um, did you remember when you, you first got to, to, uh, Montreal and first ended up in the bell center? I mean, I, Ted told you his Danny Gallivan story. I've, I've, I, you know, I remember the first time I was introduced to Jean Bellevaux and, and, uh, you know, stood next to Keith Liffler. hello, Mr <laughs> you know, those kinds of, you know, if you're, if, if you're a fan of the game, uh, Jesus Christ, Montreal, I mean, they, you know, you're going to run into, you're going to have a lot of holy shit moments. Do you remember a few of those at the beginning? I certainly do. We we
0: started on the road for four games when I started in, in 2014, and then we came home, and the, the home opener, uh, you know, the Canadians do it the right way, and they... I think I'm right on this. Ken Dryden handed the torch to Carey Price. And I, the roar, I had never been to a game at the Bell Center, let alone call a game at the Bell Center. So I guess I did an exhibition game there prior to that. But I I, I almost, like I started to laugh. I thought, where the hell am I? I took half my headset off and I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And you know, I had so many of those moments. Um, Jean Bélévaux died in, in December of 2014. And uh, so the station asked me to go to the funeral to represent uh, the station, and uh, and my favorite player is ever is Mario Lemieux. Now that's not a canadians related thing, but he came in two pews ahead of me and turned around and looked right at me. I almost joined Mr. Belliveau at the time, <laughs> um, dropped, too soon, dropped dead, you know, because he he's my hero, right? So, right. but and then uh, Guy Lafleur came to speak, and he was he was going to go in our booth and and. Put on the headset, and I was just asked if I could go and turn the board on, and I—I I mean, I was like you. I—I I, I was like an, an eight-year-old kid. I, yeah. I couldn't look him in the eye, and you know, I mean, Gila Point came to me one time and said, "You're doing a really good job," and I thought, you know, I couldn't call my brother fast enough. It's just <laughs> those things happen left, right, and center. Probably there more than with any other organization. It's. It-
1: It's funny, the the little boy in you never goes away in, in those situations, especially around hockey players. If you're a Canadian kid, those moments never go away. I
2: had one of the, I had, I had one of those way back when as well, Dan, uh, that, that first year that I was covering the Canadians back in 85. And I was interviewing Larry Robinson in the dressing room after practice one day. And he said to me after I was done the interview, he goes, what time do you get up in the morning? And I said, uh, about 3.30 or so. And he said, yeah, I figured you were up early because I'm in the barn at 6.30 listening to you. And I was like you. I couldn't get home fast enough to phone my father and say, Larry Robinson listens to me.
0: Isn't that the best, though, And you think? Oh, yeah. You know, we, we put them on a pedestal in some way, shape, or form, but they're just people, right? And um, Sergio Momessa, who I did the games with in Montreal, he, he ran into Wayne Gretzky one night in Toronto, and he said... Uh, he said that Gretzky told him, he said, I listen to you, you and Dan all the time when I'm in LA because of the time difference, the games have already started when I'm in traffic. And I thought, well, I can't do any games anymore because yeah. my <laughs> going and if I screw up and I'm, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't believe
1: him, but it makes sense, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I was wondering, Dan, there's also, you know, not, it, we got to be fair to Winnipeg. There's a rich hockey history, uh, totally. Uh, in Winnipeg, too, for example, they just revealed the statue uh, outside the uh, the building of a player that meant an awful lot uh, to uh, Winnipeggers, uh, Dale Howardchuck, over the years. the the uh, The impact he had on the community. I remember when John Ferguson signed him at the corner of uh, uh, Portage and Maine. It was such a big deal when they drafted him. There is a history. Uh, I mean, it's unfair to compare anything to the Canadians or an original <clears throat> six club, but. Winnipeg does have a pretty rich history.
0: Oh, it certainly does, and it's almost like it's um, a couple of histories. Like I, I'm a big fan of the WHA. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm kind of a nostalgic guy anyway, and I have a lot of hockey cards from one given year in that season. And you know, to know what Alf uh, Nilsson and Anders Hedberg and Lars Erik Schuberg meant to the Jets when they came over here, that you know, that was sort of the first of the well, Salming had, had been in Toronto and Inga Hammerstrom, but when they came and kind of revitalized Bobby Hall's career, that meant so much. And and uh, I'm not sure everybody knows, maybe the casual hockey fan doesn't realize just how good that team was. Uh, granted, yeah. in, a, in another league, but, but they, you know, Glenn Sather has said that the way those Jets teams played, he wanted to model the Oilers um, after those Jets teams. And then, so obviously they lost their franchise, but... Avco Actually, Cup winners.
1: Avco Cup. That's there you
0: right. go. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Avco was insurance, I think,
1: right? Yeah, I, I think it was. Yeah, but I, mm. I, when I got to Winnipeg in 78, in, uh, the Jets had just won the Avco Cup. And as a Montreal kid, I was like, what's the Avco Cup? <laughs> but you, you you quickly learned about WHA history when you when you moved to Winnipeg.
0: Oh, yeah. And and now, um, you mentioned the Dale Howarchuk statue. I live in the building, which is right beside it. And it is... It's remarkable that people can, can be so talented and make something like that. And I like so. It's True North is the parent company, and the statue is pointing True North, which is pretty cool. And uh, you know, the good thing I guess about the, the statue, or one of them obviously, it's uh, tragic that Dale Howard wasn't here for the unveiling, but he knew that it was being built, and uh, just his legacy means so much. I mean, Mark Shifley has talked about it because he coached Mark in junior. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's and I, I, actually, in a couple of nights from now, um, they're going to be honoring Teppo Newman and, and Tamo Solani. So, yeah, every every franchise, to one degree or another, has has a, an interesting history. And and yeah, the Jets. I mean, hockey is is so big here, and they
1: they love their Jets, and and for good reason. Um, um an important question, I think, uh, Dan, that a lot of people would want to know is uh, how are the hot dogs? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I haven't I haven't tried yet. I gotta get the
0: pierogies first. I guess. Right? I was gonna say, do they sell
2: pierogies yeah. at the rink? They,
0: they yeah. must. I, I haven't oh, seen yeah. It yet. But, uh, yeah. What somebody else said. Uh, there's a couple of other Manitoba things I have to try. Is honey yeah. dill sauce? Yes. Which I've never heard before. And they said, said you have to go to a social. I said, well, what the hell is a social? As an antisocial guy, I wondered. So it's sort of a I'll probably describe this the wrong way, but it's you know if somebody's getting married, they might just throw like a big community party for them, and um, you you eat and you drink and you dance and that sort of thing. Yeah. So that's kind of a, I'm trying to get used to all these uh, all of these local cultural items. But yeah, I don't know. I I can't imagine it would be as good as a, a Canadian's hot dog, but yeah. there must be some sort of a some sort of a thing here that they hang their hat on.
1: Well, in the summertime, you'll I'm sure you'll head out Grand Beach area, or you might end up at Lake of the Woods, or uh, if you head towards uh, you head towards Lockport, that's where you'll have a uh, a very famous and longtime traditional Lockport hot dog. Ask somebody about that. You do that in the summertime, and okay. these these are all you know. There's there's uh, Ray and Jerry's up at Polo Park, and there's all yep. kinds of real. Hardcore traditional things that are still in Winnipeg. Like I said, I love that town. Uh, Ted, you wanted to do the tweet sheet, and you said Dan contributed one.
2: Dan actually sent me one the other day. And uh, <laughs> Dan, is it okay if I <laughs> is it okay that's for me right. to point this out? I don't want to get you in trouble or anything, but it was no. pretty funny. It's a bit saucy. Huh? Yeah,
0: saucy. go ahead.
2: Yeah, good. well, that's I what the, that's what the podcast tweet sheet is for. It's for the saucy ones that I can't use on the radio. Are they going to be able to see them, Poseidon, or will just I be able yeah, to see yeah, them? No. Okay, all right. Poseidon's going to pop them up on the uh, right. on the screen here for us, and yeah, the one dance that was terrific. That got a shitload of uh, of retweets, and uh, this on, is okay. You're going to find the first the uh, the Dan one first. No, no, go ahead. Okay. All right. This is from at Soul Yodeler. Life is short. Stop and smell stuff. Steal a Twix and sell it to an orphan. Chase some pigeons and start a trash fire. Who gives a shit? (laughs) (laughs) Quite the philosopher. God
0: knows orphans need more Twix. (laughs) Yeah, they sure do.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think Dan's is coming up last, actually. Okay. Uh, This one's from at Kip Conlon. For my last number, I'd like to play a little ditty called the tip jars isn't just there is some goddamn decoration. <laughs> 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 and this is the one that Dan sent along from at Sam Gritner. My parrot died today. It's last words were fuck. I think my parrot is about to die. <laughs> What's that got? 11.8 thousand retweets. 11,800 retweets
1: and i saw
0: that and i thought this has ted bird written all over it i couldn't send it <laughs> fast
1: enough dan do you spend much time on social media because uh, i'll tell you ted and i talk about this all the all the time um all you got to do is tweet something about sports and and things catch fire in a big big hurry do you spend yeah. a lot of time on it uh not as much as i used to
0: and like I do, I guess, for, for information as much as anything, and I, I've been addicted to it at times. It's been ridiculous uh, just to pass the time and then you realize you're checking it every 28 seconds. But um, I don't, I kind of stopped when I got this job because I I don't want to see how, I don't want to see somebody ripping me or that sort of thing. I just don't need that in my life. It's a strange, on the other side, I mean, this is just a personal thing, but people can be so great on it. And, and we talked, talked earlier about how, Uh, people's kind words can help. Well, the the flip side is true, too. So I thought, and I'm going to try to stay off that. Although I do, as I said, I'm I'm on there once in a while seeing what's going
2: on. Yeah, it's the best and the worst of everything, uh, like the broader internet experience. On the day that we're recording this, as we speak, I'm getting clobbered because I said, how can Rika Salonen be a hockey hall of famer, but Paul Henderson is not? And so I'm getting absolutely eviscerated for being a misogynist and disrespecting uh, Rika Hallinan. I'm not disrespecting Rika Hallinan. I'm saying I think Paul Henderson should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. That's my opinion. It's a hockey take, but people immediately turn it into so much more than that. You know, it's become become an identity politics issue. You know, I'm just giving my hockey take. I think Paul Henderson should be in the Hall of Fame.
1: And as somebody pointed out, uh, this 50th anniversary would have been a good time to do it. Yeah, and
0: he's not getting any younger, right? So he must be, what was he, 20, say he was 25 in in 72. So, uh, you know, my math sucks, but he's in his mid to late 70s. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I just think if you put, for me, if you put the whole package, the whole Paul Henderson package together, long and productive career, and I think it was a game-winning goal in the last three games of that series and an iconic, like the iconic hockey series of all time. The guy is a household name in Canada, and he's a Canadian legend. And to me, that adds up to Hockey Hall of Fame. I understand yes. you can also make an argument against that, and I respect that you can make an argument against that. But, you know, why do people have to get so vitriolic about it? It's unbelievable. It's like they're the, the self-appointed guardians of the gates of the Hall of Fame.
0: Yeah, it, it's strange. And I, you know what, I'm one not to veer too far off, and I don't want to throw names out there. But I think I think that certain, well, I think it's too easy to get into the Hockey Hall of Fame from for my liking. I, I um, And there's, you know, there's some guys in there right now that Paul Henderson was better than. Who are in the hall of fame it's it, it's kind of a strange thing but uh it's one of those things where i'll have a few with a with a couple of friends and we say you know why is this guy in and why is that guy not in but you know maybe i'm a little too hardcore i just i like the, the halls of fame that are harder to get into i think baseball used to be that way um and maybe it still is but uh, but yeah it's, it's it's the hall of fame you're right so I, I think it'll happen someday i know a guy named liam mcguire who's the preeminent uh,
2: sure i know uh, who liam is is does liam yeah. support henderson for the hall of fame
0: oh does he ever he's yeah. been pushing for it for years vehemently so and he's he knows hockey trivia better than well yeah than basically Andrew nobody knows
2: same. hockey factually any better than liam maguire does
0: that's
1: right that's right uh, dan as somebody who loves to travel i'd like to ask you this question about being on the road what do you take with you how far ahead do you plan and and do you enjoy it what's it like to to go on the road for say you know seven games or whatever it is
0: Uh, it's such a good question
1: so we just came off one that was
0: uh, a two-game road trip Uh, so we went to calgary friday played the flames saturday went to seattle that night got in at 2 a.m we were stuck in customs for an hour the game was five o'clock local time so i was a zombie calling the game uh i'm not the most organized human being on, on the hemisphere and that bites me sometimes. So I had uh, I had like a suitcase that you could, you could put a Volkswagen in uh, for two days of, of packing because it broke my old suitcase. Like it's, I always wait until the last minute to pack. <laughs> um, I always take, you know, I'll take 13 shirts and then realize, oh yeah, I have one pair of socks. I left the other 12 at home. Like it's just, I need to hire somebody to, to basically run my life. But um, aside from that, and you try to figure out how many suits do I need? Do I, (laughs) it's just really weird. But, uh, you know, maybe another 10 years I'll get on with it. But I I do love it. Um, It can, like last year, for example, with Montreal, it, it can be a grind when you're getting into March and the team is terrible and it's the same story every night and you're tired. Um, and look, it's, I'm on the charter with the jets. Um, I, as I was with the Canadians, I I stay in really nice hotels, fortunately, and that makes life easier. And, and, you know, hotels, I, I would not be in (laughs) unless somebody else was paying for them. Um, so that's great. But I, you know, there are, you get a a time where you're on the road for a week and by the end of it, you're pretty happy to get home. It it can, it can uh, grind you down. And I, I know players are, obviously in the prime of their lives and, and elite athletes and that sort of thing. But I, I've learned to sort of give them a little bit of grace when they might not be playing so well in the fourth game and six nights on the road, they're humans too. And it, it's, it can be tiring.
1: That's what I, I wanted to ask you. Is there a, what's the charter etiquette?
0: Well, uh, it's different with every team, I think. So the, the players are all at the back and then, um, it's staff and then broadcasters and then coaches going from back to front. Um, here's one that I thought was interesting. When Michel Therrien was the head coach of the Canadians, the coaches were at the front, as they are where I am now with the Jets. And then we were behind them and then the players. But then when Claude Julien took over, the broadcasters went right to the front. And I like that better because I never, to, I never wanted to see a coach getting pissed off or... Um, I never wanted to have him maybe call a player up to his seat to talk to him. I didn't want to see that, right? That's none of my business. So it's it's funny too, like people will say, what goes on in the back of the plane? I, I, and I thought of this actually two days ago. I have never looked in the back of the plane. I, when the, the players are back there, I, I just don't look. It's just none of my business. So, um, And then with the Jets, we land. Players get off first. We get off second. You know, it's just it's it's kind of an interesting thing. And as I said, every I think every team has its own wrinkle. Um, But it it might be the best part of the job is being on the charter. So the last thing I'll do is rock the boat.
1: I was going to say the charter must make all the difference in the world, right? If you if you fly, you know, if you if you fly commercial and you stand in security and you go to the gate and you wait at the gate and you like all of that, all of that goes away when you're doing the charter thing. It's it's a real real uh, privilege and luxury, isn't it? It
0: it is. It's not only that too. Like if you're in Columbus on a Wednesday and there's a game in Montreal on a Thursday and you're flying commercial. Well, first of all, if you're on the charter, you're in bed a quarter to one in Montreal. If you're not, you're the next morning flying to Toronto, flying to Montreal. You know, it's, it makes such a big difference. And when I applied for the job, I won't say I wouldn't have taken it um, or would not have taken it had I not been on the charter, but it was a, it was quite a big deal, especially here in Winnipeg, because, you know, direct flights are, to a lot of cities are kind of few and
1: far between. In terms of arenas, Dan, what's a favorite perch? I mean, you, we all know about Chicago Stadium, Madison Square Garden, Bell Center. Do you have a favorite as a, as a broadcaster? Is there a perch that you like leaning out of more than another one? Uh, well, probably the bell center. I'll,
0: I'll tell you a, a cool one. We were just at Mollet arena in Tempe and it's, you know, kind of a temporary solution. I don't know if solution is the right word, but for the coyotes. And it was like, I was calling a junior a game again. We were, you know, I don't know how many feet from the ice, but we were on the concourse and maybe 15 rows back. And that was, that was incredible. Um, you know, you, you couldn't make a mistake as far as identifying a player goes because you're so close. Um, I'm trying to think where else, I, you know, Montreal, Madison Square Garden, and then here at Canada Life Centre are my top three. Uh, there's some disappointing ones. Uh, Scotiabank Arena, I think they call it now in Toronto. That's, you know, the atmosphere is never that great there. So I've always kind of been disappointed by that. That was my place, my first game. I was thinking, all right, it's going to be rocking, you know, and it wasn't. Uh, so <laughs> I, I don't know if it's a corporate crowd or whatever. But, um, you know, Detroit's a new one that, that has a really good vantage point. So there, I know that's not a, a really good answer, Terry. But there's so, oh. there's so many good ones. That, you know, it's more like it's almost like the bad ones stick out because there's there's so few of them.
1: Well, I I know like you know like in Calgary the skywalk the the, uh, the what do you call that the catwalk? Christ, yeah. you ever have to go across that that that'll. that'll uh, That'll pucker your arse in a big hurry. <laughs> yeah, so you're right over
0: center ice, and it's a great for people who haven't been there, and I'm sure a large percentage of your viewers haven't. And I'm not scared of heights, but I, anybody who would be, I don't know how they would get across that thing. That building needs to go, too. They big need time. something there yeah. in a hurry. Yeah, big time.
2: I have okay. a couple of questions for you along those lines, Dan. The first one I'm asking on Terry's behalf, because I know how much Terry loves discovering restaurants in, in different cities. Do you have... Can you name me two or three favorite road restaurants like can't miss spots when you go into different cities?
0: There's one in Columbus that we just that I just found. It's in Germantown, and the name escapes me right now. I've been going there for eight years. And Mark Denis, who travels with us, obviously the great analyst with RDS, he, he played with in Columbus. And he said, why don't you go to, to this place? And God, I can't remember the name of it. And I, you know, when this, the schedule came out this year, I kind of looked right away and and, uh, and circled the calendar. And there's another place in New York City, and this is awful. It's an Italian place, but we go because of the sort of because of the characters there. So <laughs> we went in one night, and um, you know, we had a pizza. Pat Heckey was there, and, and Sergio. And uh, as we were waiting for the table, Arturo's uh, is the name of the place. Waiting for the table. Uh, there's an older couple, uh, and we're in—I don't know where it is. I guess it's in Manhattan. And uh, they're probably early '80s. So uh, the the bartender says, "What would you like to drink?" And I said, "I'll I'll have a gin and tonic." And she goes, "This friend of the blue. This woman looks at me and goes, gin and tonic? What are you? Are you a woman?'" <laughs> and I, and I, I, I didn't I didn't know like what do you say oh, that like New York. <laughs> Yeah, only in New York City, you know. So she looks at Sergio, what are you with, the FBI, a big big bugger with the black suit?
1: <laughs> so we're, we're staying. We're staying. It was great. Hey, hey, That's that, funny. I, I, I Googled the Columbus <laughs> thing, and they're – uh, the German. I've never been to Columbus, but Germantown must be something because what comes out is Schmidt's Sausage House with Bavarian fare and live Oompa acts <laughs> and Hofbrauhaus House in Columbia. I don't know if these. And the last one, I can't even pronounce It's called Walters at the Menagerie." <laughs> uh,
0: well, there's no oompa act like a live oompa act. Yeah, well, boy. So.
2: <laughs> that uh, story about the old lady in the gin, that reminds me, Terry, when we had Maureen Holloway on this podcast, she told a story about the late Andre Mazenev. And yes. and Maureen said, "I think Maureen was out, and either her or her husband ordered a gin and tonic." And Andre said, "What are you, a widow?" <laughs> 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 so
0: what's, what's wrong with gin and tonic? I don't like, know.
2: I, I and and why is it associated with women and widows? I don't know. Well, I guess it's you know that's what the Queen Mum drank. That's, I think.
1: I was going to say it's because of the Queen Mum. That's why. Yeah. Okay.
2: Oh, here's, yeah. my, here's my other question, and Terry, I want an answer from you on this as well, and uh, I'll tell you mine first so you guys can ruminate on it a bit. Favorite or most memorable play-by-play call? What pops to mind immediately in any sport? Because for me, even though I'm not a golfer and I'm not a huge golf fan, uh, Vern Lundquist with Tiger Woods on 16 at the Masters in 2015 or whenever it was, when that ball, he did that long putt and it curled around and the ball just hung on the lip for about a second and a half and then it fell in. And Vern Lundquist said, in your life, have you seen anything like that? And I get chills just just reliving that, just telling the story.
0: So do I with you saying that. So when, when you say that, I guarantee you that he had not written that down. Mm -mm. That's off the cuff. And it's the same as the one I'm going to give you. And I read his book this year, Al Michaels. So it is 1980 Olympics. We all know what happened. Do you believe in miracles? Yes, and th- I mean that's pretty much perfect. Yeah. Right. And and he's made. I'm not going to say he made a living off of that because his living's been been great anyway. But that is the the number one thing he's he's been remembered for, and it's it's pretty hard to
1: top that for me.
2: Yeah, that was a good one, Terry.
1: I'm I'm going to butcher it, Ted. So I'm going to rec- I'm going to rely mm. on your memory. Uh. And and this is this is really a sad thing to to turn to, but it's one of the most memorable calls ever. And it's Bill Buckner missing the mm. uh, missing the ball, and I and it was if I'm if I'm not mistaken, it was Vin Scully. It was.
2: There's and- a little roller upper, long first base
1: behind the bag. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and somebody, the best part of that story that nobody knows, and I think Skip Snare told me this, at a, I think at the Boston Tavern, which Skip Snare's friend Jimmy owned or owns, beside Fenway Park, after that happened, there was a moment of stunned silence in this packed Boston Tavern, and one of the guys turned around to everybody else and went, the son of a bitch has killed our fathers and now they're coming for us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like that
1: needs to be
2: in a movie.
1: <laughs> oh my god. And it's god. Odd, it's odd that that's the first thing to come to mind um you know because my my favorite play play guy of all time was Danny gallovan' because Danny Galvan was the sound of Saturday night in in our house because I'm that age, right? He he was you know, there it just wasn't the game. wasn't a game without uh, Danny Gallivan, and and we always, unfortunately, we always got, you know, we would compare Danny to Foster Hewitt, who used to refer to Cornway as y. Van Kernoyer. <laughs> so it was, it was, you know, there was, to me there was nobody as as good as Gallivan. But for some reason, when we talk famous play by plays, I think of poor Bill Buckner and yeah. behind the bag. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Dan, are, are you um, are are you all settled in? And you know, I I I'm asking you this question from a guy who's moved before. You you know, there's the flurry of like, oh my god, and this is exciting, and everybody says goodbye and wishes you well, and you're packing your bags and you're moving and you're putting things in boxes, and you got to find an apartment and you find an apartment and you and then you get there and you close the door, and then there's silence. And it all kind of, and then there's a night or two afterwards where you go, Jesus Christ, did I just do this? Am I living in Winnipeg? Have you had that?
0: I've exactly had that, Terry. You, you've lived this. That's that's so crazy that you say that. It, uh, it was sort of late in the game when I officially got the job. And then uh, the movers came to my place in Montreal West on the 5th of October. And then... Uh, I think the seventh, I started to drive here, stopped in Sault Ste. Marie, Thunder Bay, and then got here. I took all my clothes and everything that I could fit in my in my automobile, and I bought, I rented the apartment online, uh, you know, sight unseen, but it looked like a great place, and it is. So I can see the Delta where I lived for like two weeks, and I had to wait for my my stuff to get here. So it took them, you know, longer than it should have taken them. But we won't get into that. But it was, um, you know, I finally got. My stuff came on a game day and we, that was a Monday. The next day we had off. So I got everything set up. Then we went on the road for six days. And so I got back and, you know, there's always something else that you forgot to buy or you need to get, and you have to set this up. And, and, but it's funny there, it it is, there's, and it was that way in Montreal too. Like when I got there, it's, there's this big flurry and it's exciting. And, but then there's a bit of loneliness and it's sort of a, it, it is sort of a, I really did this, like I, you know, I don't know anybody here, and that's fine. I mean, I did this. I wanted to do this, but there is that side of it, and it's it's kind of a, you know, I love staying busy because it keeps me occupied. But there's a lot of there's a lot of texting to my kids and and Facetimes and that sort of thing, which is great. I'm glad we have that technology, and uh, but but yeah, it's there is. There is that sort of a, a feeling to it once you it, it gets quiet and you're thinking, okay, I, I did pull the trigger, so what's next, dum Dumb? What do you do now?
1: <laughs> I, I didn't know that you drove because that adds to it because I remember the first time uh, driving to Winnipeg and you drive out of Kenora and the Canadian Shield comes to an end and then the prairie spills out in front of you. And I remember thinking... Jesus Christ! What? what am I, I can watch my dog run away for four days.
0: It's well, uh, yeah, and that's that's after watching three days of rock and lake and tree. Yeah. It's like yeah. okay. And and my producer had said, now when you get between, when you get between Saint Marie and Thunder Bay, there's lots of speed traps, so don't speed. So you know, I pass it's a ninety, and I'm going one sixteen. I see a cop coming, and I see him turn around behind me. Nice. I'm like, yeah, he was right, so he, he was good, he let me go, but uh, it, it's amazing. It's such a beautiful country though. Like yeah. It's, yeah. it's so crazy, like what you say, you cross that border and almost immediately you're in the prairies and it opens up. And I hadn't made that drive since I was like 21 or 22. Um, and then, you know, the time zone changes, you're in the middle of the country and it's it's just a it's a reminder how vast Canada is too. And I mean, you guys know that obviously, having moved and seen a lot of it, but it's, it's pretty spectacular in its own way. What's one food you're gonna miss?
1: Mamesos subs. Thank you. I, I thought you were going to say that. And I, yeah. I, it's that's that's up near the top of my list out here on the West Coast. We yeah. often think, oh, shit, I'd love to go to Momesos. <laughs> when, when I think
0: of Mamesos, um, and it was great because Sergio's such a good friend of me. when I started, uh, he used to take me to his mom's once in a while. We'd have dinner there. Um, and she lived in NDG, NDG where he grew up. And... Uh, you know, of course, being an Italian mother, and I'm not trying to stereotype, but he would say the same thing. She would put out this massive spread, and would you like, you know, a glass of wine? And, well, Ma, we have a game at six, you know, and it was just, <laughs> it was just the best thing ever. And she was such a good cook. But I think of Momessos and, and my son Clark, I took him for the first time, and, you know, he was like, he's 21 now. He was probably 16 or so. And he gets the foot long, and he took the hot sauce and put it all in one pile in the middle. So, you know, he kind of did the – he shoved the whole thing in his face in about a minute and a half. And, but when he hit that – he hit the hot spot. You could see the smoke coming out of his ears. But, you know, and he, we still talk about it. We still – it's one of those places where when anybody would come to visit, yeah. we would always have to go there.
1: And it, what's great about – one of the things that I love about Mimes was besides the fact that the food is unbelievable, it's so unassuming. So when you yes. take somebody there for the first time, they think – when you first walk in, they think, what this is it, and then they take a bite, and then they know why you're there.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's classic, and I can. So it's it's below the street for people who don't know. <laughs> I shouldn't tell this, but it makes me laugh. We were at the sitting at the bar there one one time having a sandwich, so you can see through the window at street level. This great big guy was walking toward the restaurant, and the waitress says, "Oh no, that's whatever," Vito. I'll say, for lack of a better name, he came in here the other night and he ate. <laughs> He had 2 14, 14 inch subs and, and four bottles of beer so I thought okay if, if, I, I gotta sit and watch this as he's coming back so I, I you know a seven inch is good 14 would put me to sleep but I think 2
1: 14s would, would put me underground good way to die, good way to die though yep Dan I, I could talk to you all day and uh, and all night and and uh, you gosh you've been so gracious with your time and uh, we were absolutely thrilled when you said yes to the podcast thank you so so much for coming on we really really appreciate it oh it's my pleasure i, I love listening to you guys and it's been really fun to kind of
0: get to know you too right i think first yeah. with Ted, it was just sort of uh messaging and then we ran into each other once or twice and then yeah. same thing with you so it's it's uh, that's one of the great things i made good friends in montreal and you guys are, are two buddies, so I appreciate it.
1: And I promise, I, I still have friends in Winnipeg. Longtime mentor of mine uh, is a guy named Don Percy, who was a radio giant there. He still lives there. My buddy Matt Kundel's there, so I, I make a point of visiting when I'm out there. I'm going to definitely text you, and I'd love to uh, love to catch up.
0: That would be tremendous. I, I appreciate it, guys.
1: Enjoy it. Thanks, Dan. Well, Ted,
2: we got to talk about cars. <laughs>
1: Yes, I know we to, we have to talk about We cares. got two commercials yes, about cars.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: I know. We um boy, I, it was so great to have Dan on, wasn't it?
2: It was. Yeah, he's such a good guy. He's he's such a maritimer. And, yeah. and by that I mean he's just so salt of the earth, you know? Just a yeah. just a decent Joe.
1: And I, you know, and I wasn't blowing smoke up his skirt. I think he's one of the best in the business. So he do really I. really is. Yeah. There's a there's a warmth there's a warmth in a uh, you know he's such a genuine person, and and it comes through when he's when he's when he's calling games.
2: Yeah, it really does. He's uh, he is himself when he's uh, when he's on the air, and I, I know to me, no matter what uh, your job is in broadcasting, if you can be yourself, uh, you've got to beat. You're on your way.
1: All right, let's. Uh, we got to say thanks to um, our friends at uh, the Mercs, and we also gotta say thanks to our friends at uh, Jaguar Land Rover Laval. We haven't forgotten them. Uh, Ted, I know you're mad at me because uh, I had to do these uh, uh, via Zoom, Skype, whatever it is we're doing. And that means no Jaguar for you.
2: Yeah, we didn't get the courtesy car this time around. Normally, Terry flies into Montreal, and uh, we do the, uh, the podcast together in studio. So I call up uh, Adrian at Jaguar Land Rover Laval and say, I need uh, I need something to ferry Terry around town in, and we'll do some videos for uh, and take some pictures for social media, Terry and Ted, and, in a Jaguar or Land Rover. Still hope maybe we can get our hands on a McLaren one of these days because that's, uh, that's their dealership too, McLaren Montreal. Anyway, we've had the Defender, which is a spectacular Land Rover vehicle. We've had the Discovery Sport. We've had the Jaguar F-Pace, which is Jaguar's SUV. And we've had the F-Type. The Jaguar Sports Coupe, and what a dandy that was! Uh, but this time around, since Terry's not coming into town, I didn't have the uh, I didn't have the excuse to to head up there and get something. But that shouldn't stop you from heading up there and checking out the all new 2023 Jaguar F Pace, or the all new Land Rover Velar, or the Range Rover. Uh, any manner of, uh, in any number of Land Rover and Jaguar models. If you are in the market for a luxury vehicle. Don't buy anything until you go to Jaguar Land Rover Laval and see what they have in the showroom. And above and beyond that, uh, enjoy the customer experience. Uh, as Terry likes to say, we're big on family-owned businesses, and that's what Jaguar Land Rover Laval is. The D.Q. Bellis brothers, Nino and Renato, salt-of-the-earth people, um, and uh, they'll take good care of you. And their attitude uh, permeates throughout the dealership. They... Um, it starts at the top and, uh, and and it just goes all the way down and just good, decent people with an outstanding product and great, honest, and decent service. Jaguar.com, JaguarLaval.com and dot The
1: Standing By podcast with Terry and Ted is also supported by our longtime friends at Mersons Merson Automotive have been in the same place uh, not too far from the corner of St. Jacques and Cavendish. For many, many years, and they have become uh, the go-to place for many Montreal families, and many Montreal families and different generations of families, because if you're like Ted and myself, and you don't know shit about cars, and you uh, have been taken in the past by uh, unscrupulous uh, shop owners... Uh, The Mersons is where you want to be. That's the way they built their business, with honesty and uh, integrity and kindness and decency and, obviously, efficiency. They know what they're doing. They can fix just about any problem you have on your car. And no matter what you drive, they can take care of it. And that's true even today with all of the fancy computers that uh, are in all these cars these days. And you... You flip a hood open and you don't know which way is up, leave it to the Mersons; They will look after it for, uh, for you. And by the way, if you're in the market for new tires, and remember, uh, it's all about safety, not just about uh, the winter tire law, but safety. You want to make sure you've got a good, decent pair or a, t- a decent uh, set, I should say, of tires on your vehicle. And that's another thing. When you take your car in, They'll tell you if you need tires, and if you don't need tires, they'll tell you, no, you don't need to change these tires. That's the kind of honesty that's attracted myself and Ted to the dealership for all these years. They'll do the same thing for you, mersonauto.com, or like I said, pop by and see them. You'll enjoy the experience. Uh, Ted, you disappeared on my screen. Did you stop no, listening to me? No, Was I I'm, still you to I'm still here.
2: I'm still here. I've got to take the uh, Bavarian money pit in to see the Mersons this week. I had, uh, Fair. I lost a headlight. I've had a headlight burned out and then my uh, tire pressure light came on uh, all in one day. So I gotta, I'm not going to fool around with that myself. I'm just going to take it down and let them take care of it. Cause I know right. they'll do, I know they'll do, uh, they'll do the job and they'll do it right.
1: They should hire a noompop band for when you bring that. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> 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 it could be you know what would be fun was the the band uh the band that uh that was in the uh the Schmatterhorn in the Bugs Bunny
2: cartoon. Oh, here comes Bird again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh well, I guess that's it. Another episode is done.
2: Yeah, that was a fun one. It was great to yeah, talk to so Dan was. Robertson. Love talking yeah. hockey with Dan.
1: Yeah, it absolutely was. I'm thrilled for Dan. He's going to have a great time in a great city. Winnipeg is a great city. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And if you've never been to Winnipeg, shut your pie hole until you go and uh, and uh, bring your pie hole to Winnipeg and, and eat some delicious pierogies. That's not very nice, eh?
2: Well, it, it, was, uh, it was heartfelt, I thought. <laughs> and it was, uh, yeah, you put it on the line there. I respect it. I respect Thank it. You. Yeah.
1: Uh, the Standing By podcast has a Facebook page. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate you commenting on the Standing By Facebook page. Uh, Ted and I are always going on about it at Twitter. There's a Standing By podcast Twitter account. You can also follow and uh, throw your darts there if you like. And uh, share the podcast if you could and tell your friends about it. We'd appreciate that very much. Ted Bird, thank Poseidon for me, will you? Thank you, Poseidon. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think I woke him up. (laughs) Standing by, the Terry and Ted podcast has been brought to you by the UPS Store Canada. The UPS Store near you is locally owned and operated by a member of your small business community.